Uh, uh, at 7 a.m., and I know all of you will be, uh, the Everlife girls are going to be on uh, my favorite radio show, The Rick and Bubba Show, um, where they're kicking off. I'm actually more excited about that than the girls are. Um, I've been listening to Rick and Bubba for like 10 years. Like, I'm a member. I'm such a dorky member, like a fan. I've actually am a member of their Extreme Club where I pay $10 a month for the ability to download like their, their shows and stuff. Like, I'm a fan. Like, I'm going to be getting the autographs and getting my picture made. And <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Everlife's over here. Hey, can I get a picture, Rick? With <laughs> They're opening this brand-new studio, so there's talk about having a, uh, a marching band in the parking lot. There's going to be hundreds of people out, you know, come out to see this thing. I'm not going to give it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to roll her in on a dolly. <laughs> refrigerator dolly. <laughs> I present to you, Everlife. Um, yeah, so anyway, that, that'll be uh, us in the morning. So, um, All right, let's pray. Father, thanks so much um, for your word and for your, uh, just your love for us, Lord, that we can actually come together as a, as a band of warriors, whether big or small, and just seek the scriptures and what you have to say for us. And uh, mostly, Lord, tonight, just ask that you would um, get across this point that you uh, that, that, that came so alive to me as I, as I read through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 1. Have you read Hebrews very much? Anybody read Hebrews ever? It's pretty deep, huh? When I grew up, uh, the church I grew up, we loved the Hebrews because um, the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 thing, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it was... It was very exciting because that was a thing where you got to, if you prayed that thing and you had that faith and you got whatever you wanted, you know, like God was the genie and you rubbed the genie and out, you know, he'd come give you all the wishes that you had based upon Hebrews 11. 1. So we didn't really, you know, we didn't mess around much with the rest of Hebrews, but we really liked Hebrews 1, or I mean 11. 1. Um, and as I've gotten older, um, considerably older, you begin to read, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but you should try sometime to go through your Bible and read the parts that you don't have underlined. Like, great Bible study exercise. Because if it's all inspired, and I believe it is, then everything could be underlined technically at some point you know, in your walk with the Lord. So, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times, and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I've, maybe it's because I'm not very spiritual, but I've had these moments where I think, God, just do something. Just prove to me that you're there. Just say something, anything. You know, make that spadool move or something. You know I mean? Silly stuff. Um, but God, <laughs> God speak to me. You know? I mean, I don't, I guess I would say this, okay? And I'm, I'm being whatever vulnerable but I hear guys on the TV talking about you know well God told me to do this and I said God this and then God you know it usually involves an argument you know between God about God wanting to do something and they don't you know they don't feel qualified but then they do it anyway and and I'm at 36 years old have never heard God speak like that never heard that audible voice and so you know there's two things possible one is I'm not very spiritual and, and that's why. Or two, maybe God doesn't speak that way in that kind of an audible voice. And, I, you know, I may, and if he is, 
I don't know the answer to that, by the way. I have no idea. Maybe some of you have actually heard his voice before, like heard an audible voice or whatever. I just haven't. <coughs> and so when I see a verse like this where it says, God has spoken, it kind of jumps out to me. Because what it means is God has spoken, right? And when you look at the Word and you see how God has spoken in the Word, you see a few different ways that the Lord has, has spoken. One, specifically, is with and through creation. right? Remember that classic Psalm 19.1? If you don't have that underlined, that's a really good one to underline. Um, because it says this, it says in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. He speaks to us when you just, the heavens, like unbelievable. The heavens. And I hear that and I think about, because I'm kind of a geek, I think about you guys know who Kepler is? Like this massive astronomer who actually coined the phrase satellite. He's this very well-regarded astronomer. And Kepler's quote, and I wrote it down so I don't want to get it wrong. He says, any astronomer who is undevout is mad. Okay? And you think about that and think, well, I guess he might be onto something. Because, And I, I grew up in Nebraska where we didn't have much but, you know, a couple of cows. Um, and so... Like you didn't, there was nothing, right? And so you could go out into a field and look up and see, like, I mean, the Milky Way. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, is anybody like from that part of the world where you could like just see? I mean, and it's massive, right? And you think this is really huge. And David is saying that's God speaking to us. We can look at and say that the creation is speaking to us. But as we've gotten more advanced in our world, more advanced in our technology, well, you know what? Let's, I'll tell you what. The universe is too big for us to understand, okay? It just is. It's just enormous. But how about for the purposes of edification and entertainment, we, uh, we, we do a little pretend journey. Let's say we're just going to journey to the edge of our solar system, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about, the solar system, which is our uh, sun and the nine, I guess now eight planets since we uh, vetoed Pluto. <laughs> Poor Pluto. <laughs> So if we're going to go just to the edge of our solar system, do you guys remember that, uh, like the model of Earth, and then there would be like the little planets, and you could move each planet around on its little thing? Do you guys have those? In Nebraska, we were so poor, we just used like soccer ball and some tennis balls. That do no. Um, and the problem with it is that it is so huge, okay, that even the speed of light, okay, takes seven hours to get from the sun or from the Earth to Pluto. It would take us seven hours if we're going to the speed of light, okay? So the universe is giant. Now, we obviously can't go to the speed of light because we would die. So we have to use something more cumbersome, right? So in our little journey, we're going to take a rocket ship, okay? Which the fastest one we've got goes 37,000 miles an hour, okay? Which is an airline times, what, 60? You know, 60 times faster than what you go to in a jet plane. 37,000 miles an hour for the purposes of this exercise, okay? And we sent one of those up in, uh, I believe it was 1977, August or in September. We sent Voyager 1 and 2. Um, most of you weren't born. Um, at 37,000 miles an hour, we sent it, by the way, at that month, because in that exact time frame, there was a planetary alignment that only happens once every 175 years. I'm, I'm, I'm boring you, I'm sorry. And we did it that way because what would happen then is we could use like the gravitational pull of these particular planets to help almost like slingshot this thing faster, okay? It's still going at that speed took 12 years to get to Pluto, okay? 37,000 miles an hour, it took 
12 years to get to Pluto. And the thing that you're going to notice on your little journey, first of all, as you're speeding by Pluto to get to the edge of the, uh, <laughs> the solar system, the first thing you're going to notice is that you're actually speeding by Pluto because that's not the edge of the solar system. But that's what it is on our little models, but it's not. Because at 37,000 miles an hour, by the way, the, the one we just sent up last year, uh, in January of 2006, there was another planetary alignment. It's the New Horizons, I think, or something, Horizons. Uh, because, of some, uh, because of this particular planetary alignment and because of this new technology, it'll actually get there in 10 years. So, But you're speeding past Pluto, okay? And the problem with that is that you still have, you're not going to make it home for dinner, 10,000 years to go, okay? Our solar system is so enormous that that little thing that you guys had at school, the little Earth and the thing, it's, it's impossible to even draw it to scale. Because if at scale, the Earth was the size of a pea, okay, and your little drawn to scale thing, Pluto would be 10,000 feet away, okay? And it would be this, you wouldn't even care because it would be the size of a bacterium, okay? It wouldn't even matter. And drawn to scale. The next available star configuration from us would be 100,000 years away at that 37,000 miles an hour. It's so enormous, which is why I always laugh when you think about if obviously if there were aliens and they were, you know, whatever, got bored and, you know, and wanted to travel for 100,000 years, I don't know why they'd go make, why go to the cornfields? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> make corn things up in Iowa or whatever? I mean, Go hang out with the president. Do, if you've come that far, do something more than make some circles, you know, in a field. And, I mean, I guess maybe they've got teenagers, you know what I mean? So they scare some poor guy on a lonely Arizona road or, you know, I don't know, but do something. Anyway, the thing that you notice when you're doing this, by the way, is that, first of all, space is very expansive, okay? You're not going to run anything for a long time. The actual... The actual, like, all the stars, this, you know, the moon, all that stuff, Earth, planets take up only a trillionth, okay, of the entire space of the universe, okay? One trillionth. There's a lot of space, so you're not going to see much, okay, until you get, you know, there just ain't much out there, which is why they call it space. <laughs> Very appropriately named. <laughs> now, here's the thing, and I, I want to, I'm actually going to bring this around because the fact of the matter is this, and I actually, I wrote this stuff down because I don't want to screw it up. The kicker of this whole thing, how big this, that's just our solar system, Okay. People theorize that there are literally tens of millions, hundreds of millions of galaxies out there, not just solar systems. This place is so ginormous that we could try to understand it, and we can't. And when you hear astronomers talk about the Big Bang Theory, okay, that this thing was all created by a big explosion, and you begin to read and research it, you think, man, all they're doing is explaining what God did. Because what they say in infl the inflationary theory, okay, which involves the Big Bang Theory, in the same way that scientists have tried to go infinitely big, they try to go infinitely small. And the theory, the inflation theory, which is held by most astronomers now, is that the universe was created so quickly, okay, that it doubled every 10 to the 34th power of a second. Okay, so not a second, but 10 to the 34th power, which is basically 10 million trillion, no, yeah, 10 million trillion trillion or 10, I don't know. It's a lot of zeros. It's 30 zeros, okay, of a second that it started and basically, with under a second, the entire universe that existed exists. God said, and it was. And it was. I mean, how you understand? It went something from the size that you could hold in your hand 
to what we have now in under a second. God spoke it into existence. And I believe that it was God because when you realize this, and this is the part that I wrote down because I don't want you to miss this. What's extraordinary is how very specific the heavens are, where we are, how specific it is. Because if anything was just a tiny bit different, if gravity were a tiny bit stronger or a tiny bit weaker, they couldn't exist. Everything is absolutely perfectly suited for what we are, for what we have. If gravity, for instance, were off by... How do I say this right? By a thousandth of a percentage. Okay? If it's just a tiny bit off, either way, first of all, it wouldn't hold together what we need to hold together. Gravity is this force that God has spoken into existence, and it all came in at the same time. Gravity is the thing that holds it together. If it's a little bit stronger, it just collapses in on itself. If it's a little bit weaker, it just floats around. It's perfect. Hydrogen, okay. The uh, Martin and look, the, the geeks, the geek portion is almost over. So hang with me, okay. And we're gonna get. <laughs> now we return to your regularly scheduled program. Martin Rees, who's the Britain's uh, astronomer royal, says that the six numbers. There are six numbers in particular that govern our universe, and that if any of these values were changed even slightly, then things couldn't exist as they are. Okay, and I'm not going to give you all six of them, but for one, for instance, hydrogen. Okay. I'm going to read it exactly as, as I wrote, uh, read it from the book. The universe to exist exactly as it does, it requires that hydrogen is converted to helium in a precise manner, specifically in a way that converts, listen to this, seven one thousandth thousandth of its mass to energy. Listen to this. Lower that value from 0 0.007 to 0 0.006, the transformation wouldn't take place. The universe would consist of just hydrogen and nothing else. Raise it slightly... And the bonding would be so wildly prolific that hydrogen would have long since been exhausted. It's perfect. In either case, the slightest tweaking in the universe, we know it, doesn't exist. That's just with hydrogen, okay? One last quote, and then we move on. JB, uh, this is a funny name, by the way, but I swear it's true. J.B.S. Halden, who's a biologist, J. period B. period S. period, J.B.S. Halden, biologist, says this. The universe is not only queerer than we suppose, it's queerer than we can suppose. When the Bible says that man hasn't seen, eyes not, you know, we can't imagine our ways are not like the Lord's ways, like it means that we can't even, our brains just go, even trying to comprehend this stuff. And when I look at that and when I understand that and understand what exactly has happened, not just on our earth, but an entire universe that my mind can't possibly even begin to comprehend. I think, man, that's God speaking to us through creation. Do you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? God's speaking to us through creation. The second way that he speaks, according to this, it says in diverse manners, through the prophets, right? In the Old Testament, they had prophets that would speak to their forefathers. And I love it because when you look in the Old Testament, you see these guys, I mean, God was just, did some strange things, you know? to get people's attention. When you look at Ezekiel, he chopped off his hair, burned it in a fire, then he falls and lays on his side without moving for a thousand days. And God's trying to communicate this point, right? Is it, uh, which prophet was it that had to marry a harlot? Where's my Bible student? Is it Haggai? Habakkuk? Habakkuk? <coughs> it's an aged prophet. Hosea. Hosea. up. If there were prizes, you would earn one. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are no prizes. Give that man a Bucky Beaver batch. Um, 
He would speak to them in strange ways, right? I mean, they would be prophets like Zacharias sees these apocalyptic visions. Malachi comes on the scene, he's got questions and answers. I mean, there's all these methods that God is speaking to us through the prophets. Let me read you what Peter had to say about this, by the way, though. Concerning this salvation, 1 Peter 1.10, I'll read it to you, go there later. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to. He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11. What Peter's saying is that, look, God was speaking through the prophets, but the message was still kind of vague. It was in code. We look at creation, and it's amazing, and it blows our mind, but it's not a complete message yet, right? So he's speaking to us through creation, not a complete message. You speak it through the prophets. It's not that it's incomprehensible, but it doesn't, like all the dots aren't connecting, right? And then there's the third way that God speaks. And it says in Romans 1 that's through our conscience within us. I mean, if you go to any corner of the globe, people are searching, whether it's a tribe in the mountains, they've all are going towards some sort of religion thing going on. Because inside of us, God has hardwired our conscience to know that there is a God inside of us. We know that. And the Bible talks about, again, in First Peter, about we can sear that conscience, we can ignore it, we can reject it. But that conscience, when you know in your heart of hearts, when it's dark, the lights are off, the music's gone, and you know there's a God. You can, whether we doubt it, whether our conscience becomes seared in the middle of it, our conscience speaks to us. Not necessarily, again, the most comprehensive message, but it's there. But all these things in concert, okay, are incomplete until God speaks to us through what he says in verse 2, through his son. The incarnation. It's almost like, and this is, a, I heard a pastor use this analogy once. And, and So if you don't like it and you think it's cheesy, I'll give you his email address. But he was talking about the best way that he could think to explain the incarnation, okay, was if a bunch of ants had wandered into the, the listening room, for instance, tonight, okay? And I'm so huge literally and figuratively that I'm shouting at the ants get out look you know my wife's going to vacuum this place up you're going down you know but I'm so big they're completely even unaware of me and I could speak to them like you know through you know turn the lights on and off lightning you know through creation and they're just going about they have no idea what's going on or I could you know I could pick a couple of them up and you know speak to them and send them as the prophet so to speak and they go back saying look this dude this large pumpkin-looking thing with stubble <laughs> said to get out of here. And, you know, he's trying to... Uh, it's not understanding, you know? The ants aren't getting it. The only way that the message gets across to the ants in a complete and a perfect way is if I become an ant. And I become one of them. And I'm communicating. Look, you guys got to get out of here. That dude's wife's going to vacuum up the place and it's over, you know? And the few of them will follow him out. And that's it. That's the message of the incarnation that God, the messenger, right? The message becomes the messenger, so to speak. Jesus Christ, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The messenger becomes the message. Okay? Now, hang with me. I'm about about to... We're going to sew this up and get you guys home in time to see uh, Taylor Swift win. Um... I'm kind of pulling for Paramore. i got to tell you, little Franklin teenagers here, a couple kids from the youth group I was, that I was leader of, I'm pulling for them because that makes me a Grammy Award-winning youth pastor, okay? I'm just saying. 
<laughs> telling you, you know. Anyway, um, the message of the incarnation is just that. He speaks to us through his son. Now listen to me. If, if you go back to your, your Bible, I don't know how many of you guys are reading King James Version. But in verse 2, where it says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. That's the, the fourth way he speaks to us is in his son, through his son. But what jumped out at me as I was reading this and what, as I was studying it was something really fascinating to me. That the word his, if you've got a King James Bible, it's in italics. And if you've been around me long enough to know, or if you've you know, been to Bible college, you know that the italics words were added by translators who were trying to be helpful. I personally believe almost every time they tried, they, that was really not very smart. It didn't work. It's not helpful. It's, le- it's less helpful. But as they're reading this, what they're seeing is that the word by is the Greek word for en, is the Greek word en, which is en, which is our word for in. Okay? And the word son is there, huios. But the word his is not there. What it's saying is, in these last days, God speaks to us in son, in the Greek language. Okay? Now, if you're some guy, you know, circus 1400, whatever, translating the Bible, you're thinking, well, that's the clumsy, so I'm going to help these nice people out to understand that and by his son sounds better, doesn't it? Except for that's not what it said. What it says is, in huios, in son. God speaks to us in Son. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, huh? But what, what do you speak when you go to Mexico? You speak in Spanish, right? You go to England, you speak in English. You go to breakfast, you speak in Danish. <laughs> Sorry. You rewind that. That was not good. Um. <laughs> But if you're God, you speak in sun. In sunish, so to speak. The language of the Bible is obviously Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, depending on what part you are, how smart you are, or how smart you're not, like me. But what it says is this to me is that what meanest these things? God spoke through his son. God speaks in sun. The language of God is his son. He speaks in Sunish. S O N N I S H. That's a new word. I claim it. God speaks in Sunish. Now hold that thought, okay? Because when it says that he has spoken, okay? Hath spoken. The Greek language is so much more exacting than ours, so much more distinct than ours. And when he speaks this word, hath spoken, laleo, okay? It is what's called the aorist tense, okay? There's the past tense, the present tense, the perfect tense. These are all Greek tenses. But the aorist tense is a something that happened in a specific moment in time, and it's done, okay? The effects are lasting throughout, but it's done. It's over. God hath spoken in Son, in Jesus, through Jesus. What God said in Jesus is done. There's nothing more to say. You don't have to go to Salt Lake City to figure out what happened in the 1800s with the dude and the angel and whether or not you could have multiple wives or not. You know, I'm just saying, if I'm going to have a religious leader, I'm going to want him to go ahead and get it right the first time. I don't like this. We've got to unring the bell thing. Okay, you can marry you know, multiple wives, and then you can't marry multiple wives. And then at one point it was bad to be a black person and a Mormon, but now you can be. You know, they had to change all those things when you read Mormonism as a group. 
But the fact is, is that God said, it's cool, it's done. What I've said in Jesus is done. Hath spoken. There's no more revelation. There's no more, you've got to go to 1914 to figure out what happened and then the Jehovah Witnesses come on the scene. That's over. God hath spoken. Everything he had to say, needed to say, wanted to say, is in Jesus. It's done. This is a really big deal. And we're going to end with these three things because when you're speaking in Sunnish, okay, you're probably thinking this is great, but but what does it mean for me? I think that it affects everything. When you understand that God's language, that what God is doing is in Jesus, that's everything. It affects everything about you. It affects, number one, your understanding of God's word. When you understand this, now here's the temptation. My temptation is to let the epistles, to let Paul interpret Jesus, to let the Old Testament interpret Jesus, invert it. Jesus interprets the epistles. Jesus interprets the Old Testament. When I go to, whatever, page three, right? Genesis. Adam has blown it. God comes in the garden. And you know the thing. In Adam, you know, God comes in the garden. Adam, where are you? And Man, I've heard it preached that that's God, like the arresting officer. He's coming to bust Adam. His sin will find you out. You know, I don't know if you've heard it that way before. But I look at that and I think, how was God speaking when he said, Adam, where are you? And I might be confused if I don't understand Jesus. And if I look at it through the lens of Jesus in the language of sunish, so to speak, I understand that what would Jesus have done? You know, WWJD. What happened when he was in a garden? Remember, a guy much more despicable than Adam comes in, Judas, betrays him with a kiss, and Jesus refers to him as friend. Friend, what are you doing? When he was being beaten, he said, Father, forgive them. When I read that, I understand. I go back and say, then, how would God have been responding? What would God, would it be God saying, Adam, man, where are you? I'm going to beat you. You know, like me when I'm looking for Ethan, when I know, you know, Ethan, where are you? It's a loving father, the father of somebody that knows that he's blown it. Somebody that knows that he needs forgiveness, saying, Adam, man, I want to know you. Where are you? Because you look at it through the lens of Jesus, the language of, of Sunish. It, uh, it affects everything about it. If you're reading the Bible, okay, and if you get to a part in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it does not agree conflicts with the personality, the life of Jesus, how Jesus would have responded, what Jesus would have said, then I dare say that your interpretation is not right. You've got to go back to what Jesus did. What did Jesus say? And then interpret the Bible through Jesus, not let... Do you, you, you see what I'm saying? The second thing is this. Real quickly, we're, we're getting close. I'm not only understanding God's Word, but I'm also helping you to understand God's ways. Okay? I can look at the circumstances in my own life knowing... That if I, whatever, if I'm sick and I, I can't, you know, why am I sick like this? What's going on? I've prayed and it hasn't happened. I can look at Jesus and say, you know, everybody that came across his path was healed, right? But then I can also see that, you know what, there was a reason, you know, remember the blind man and said, why was he born blind? And everybody was debating, well, his father was in sin or this or that. And, and Jesus didn't say that. What did he say? He said that, no, 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 he was born blind so that in this day, God would receive glory. Period. So it wasn't for any other reason than that. And I promise you that 2,000 years into eternity, the blind man who probably lived the first 30 years of his life or however old he was as a blind man, that he wasn't bummed about that moment because he knew, he knows now 
that God's purpose in that moment was that God could be glorified. And whether you're healed on this side of heaven or on the other side, it's God's will. He will heal you. He will take care of it. That's what I can say, and I can rest in that. I don't got to panic. I don't got to start searching my life for secret sin, you know, that's caused me to be sick. Jesus healed people that were, you know, sinners all the time. It, it's, it's not about the secret sin that caused you to be sick. You know what I'm saying? So you look at Jesus, and it just takes all the pressure off. Like, oh, I can understand God's ways. We just need to spend, if you're looking for what do I spend time now in my personal time with the Lord and reading the Word, man, go back to the Gospels. Spend time, you ought to be spending a lot of time there, reading and understanding what Jesus did, how He lived, what He said. What, you know, it, it totally, totally changes your entire perspective and understanding of God's ways in your life. And third, and this is where we're coming in for the landing, it affects the way I understand God's will in my life. Everything that God God hath spoken, okay? Everything he needed to say is in Jesus, in Sunish. So if I'm in a, you know, a situation where I don't know that I need to forgive this person. You know, I was just the other day, I, I took a, a colleague out to lunch that, you know, I was really ticked at this person. And I felt like I had a right to be ticked at this person because it done some pretty uh, unseemly things. But I got to the part where Jesus says, you know, hey, it's easy to love your, your friends. It's loving your enemies that takes cojones. I think that was the uh, Message Bible version, that it takes cojones to love your enemies. And I thought, you know, all right, I'm in. I'm going to go take this person to lunch, and I'm going to forgive him. You know, and I'm going to just reach out in the situation and apologize for my stuff, you know. And that was not easy. <laughs> I, it was, it was, a, it was a, not an easy step to take. But I tell you that the, the relationship was restored, right? It was a good thing to have happened. And so when I look at that, I, what is God's will for me in any situation? I can look to this and I can understand what God's will is, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in finances, whether it's in how I should treat you know, somebody who's poor, everything that we're doing. I mean, honestly, what part of what conduit was even born out of was me looking at the Beatitudes and cross-referencing my life with it and going, ooh. I don't have any of these. Like, I don't see anywhere in the bad who's blessed are you if you go to church every Sunday. You know? It doesn't even say blessed are you if you give a bunch of money to the church. And I'm cross-referencing my life. Blessed are you if you're a member of the men's group, you know? or if you. you know. It wasn't in there. And I began to give myself what we referred to in the old days as the truth of pactic adjustment that of the neck. And it's like, it was so freeing. It hurt at first, but it was a very freeing moment for me. And I would say this as we come in for the, the landing. The people that day around Mount Sinai were saying, man, God speak to us. And he did, right? Billows of smoke and earthquakes. And they're like, you, you know, Moses, how about you go in? You know, <laughs> you go be spoke. You know, how courageous is that? You know, millions of these people are like, I don't, we don't want anything to do with that. Moses, it's your job to go in there. And he did. Moses did, and God did speak. But God never spoke that way again. Until a day, a couple thousand years later, when there was another mountain. This time it was Mount Calvary. Where Jesus was speaking, this time, speaking in Sunnish, of what was going to happen for your and my sins. And right before that, not very long before, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the Mount, remember the Mount of Transfiguration? This very spiritual thing, but... The, the uh, disciples, it was Peter, James, and John are up there, and, and uh, 
they kind of wake up and here's Jesus and he's standing there with Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the miracle worker. And Remember this? And then Peter says, man, let's erect temples and let's worship, build like monuments to this. And first thing God says is, no, 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 shut up. That's not it. You've missed the point entirely. And then Peter closes his eyes and opens them again. Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah, the miracle worker, they're both gone. But what God says to Peter that day is, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He's saying to you and I that all those other things, all those things that I spoke through, are now complete. The orchestra is perfect in Jesus, in Sonish. Listen to him. Moses, Elijah, gone. It's just Jesus. Everything that we need. It says right here that in these last days, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the last days that we hear so much about actually started 2,000 years ago. Okay, Now, again, the universe is giant, so 2,000 years is, it sounds like a lot of last days until you've been around for like a billion years before that, like God had. So you know what I'm saying? Like 2,000 years is a sneeze in eternity's sake. So these last days, God is speaking to us through Jesus. The reason that He no longer speaks from a mountaintop with explosions and lots of earthquakes and the whole production, which sometimes, if I'm being honest, I kind of want that. I'm like, that would be great, and everybody would be all thrilled with it, right? The problem is, is they weren't, okay? Elijah, right after the major miracles that he saw on Mount, you know, uh, whatever mount it was, what's he do? He runs and hides. He's like afraid and he's depressed. The people of Israel over and over again would see these things and they would continue to fall backwards into where they were. And it was because God finally said, all right, look, I'm going to speak now perfectly, concisely, and clearly, and with finality. God hath spoken. It's done. He doesn't have to say anything more. He did it in Jesus. Does this make sense? God hath spoken. And we're going to get next week into the things that he hath said. And for those moments of why, why is he not speaking into this situation? Why am I in the middle of this mess? And I feel like God's nowhere to be found. And maybe you haven't been there. Maybe you are there. I promise you this. You're either in that situation or you're near somebody who's in that situation or you're going to be in that situation. And the beautiful thing about the word is when I was growing up, we were taught almost that if you question that that's doubt and doubt is sin and Man, I've learned in my old age that God isn't afraid of the questions because the answers are right here. As you begin to understand that God wants you to engage in these conversations. So any doubts that you're facing, any fears that you're in, any, man, why is it like this? Come back next week and we'll talk about it, okay? Father, thanks so much for your word that you have spoken. And just like that day when Peter... Uh, James and John were on the mountain and you said to them that it's about Jesus. Listen to him. Might we adjust our lives tonight about that, that it's about, about Jesus, that you've said it perfectly, concisely, clearly. Everything we do know is in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.